My name is Kim Petzinger. We've only been at this church for about two years, so I am thrilled to be with y'all today. Um, once upon a time, the devil had a garage sale, and his neighbor came over to see what he was selling. And there was this long table, and on the table were tools of the devil's infernal trade. And so the neighbor looked at the first tool, and it was lying, L-Y-I-N-G. And it was priced at $100, and the next one was adultery, and it was $500, and so on, and so on, and so on. Until he got to the very end of the table, and there was this old, worn-out tool, and it had a price of $10,000 on it. And so the neighbor looked at the devil and said, how can you ask such an exorbitant price for this worn-out tool? And the devil said, ah, this is the most valuable tool in my whole tool chest. And it is effective when all these other tools aren't. And the neighbor said, well, what is that tool? And the devil said, anybody? What was that tool? Discouragement. So let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart not only be acceptable, but be pleasing in your sight. For you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Amen. Uh, my text is 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. And I'd like to read it to you. I'd really like for you to follow along with it, if you can open your Bibles or your text. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines, than Saul will despair of seeking me, and I will escape outside of his hand. We don't blame David, do we? He's exhausted. He has slept with one eye open for over 10 years. If Saul will slaughter 85 of his own priests from Nob, and every man, woman, and child in Nob, Saul will kill David without batting an eye. So the threat is real. This crazed madman, Saul, is laser-focused on David. And we get it. We get why David fled to the land of the Philistines. We would have caved long before now. You see, our actions are often influenced by our feelings. And feelings are great liars. So many things can affect our feelings. 
a crossword with a friend, a crossword with our spouse, indigestion from the pizza we had last night, <laughs> exhaustion. So many things cloud our feelings. And that's why it's not a good idea to follow your heart. Again, look at verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of 27. Then David said in his heart, I googled follow your heart and I got 32 million hits. That's 32 million admonitions to follow a fickle thing. And the scripture has a rebuttal to Google and it is from Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. So David is talking to himself. Notice he doesn't talk to God. He's reasoning in himself. He's leaning on his own understanding. And all that follows becomes a mess of David's own making. In 1 Samuel 27, there is no evidence from the text and no hint in the text that David ever sought the Lord. Now, we've seen David seek the Lord time and time again from the time he was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 17. But this is not one of them. This is a low point in David's life. And though he has sought the Lord and succeeded in times past, spiritual successes one day are not a guarantee of spiritual successes the next day. And that is why, ladies, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must trust in the Lord today and not lean on our own understanding. Proverbs 28 says it pretty bluntly. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Alistair Begg points out that there's a space, duh, between 27.1 and 27.2. If you'll look at that space, and he says that that space is when David crossed over, not only geographically, into the land of the Philistines. Verse 2 says, so David arose and went over, that he went over not only geographically, but the, he went over spiritually into sin. And so... The reason that discouragement is such a valuable tool in the toolbox of Satan is because it so often leads to sin. Most scholars agree that David wrote no psalms during this period. David left the land of promise. He left the people of the covenant. He left all that he had known. 
And he found protection among the arch enemies of Israel, the Philistines, for 16 months. And so David and 600 of his men and their wives and children, so probably about 2,000, crossed over into Philistia, crossed over geographically and spiritually. And David does get a respite from Saul. But he has to assume a lying, mercenary lifestyle, which could not have been easy. And we see here that sin's gain is always counterfeit in the end. So King Achish gives David a job. He's supposed to kill Israelites along the border of Israel and Palestine. David doesn't do this. He's not killing Israelites. What he does instead is he kills Philistines along the border of Israel and Philistia. And he lies to Achish and tells Achish that he is killing Israelites. But he has to kill everybody. Not only the men, but the women and children of these Philistine towns. Because dead men tell no lies. And it's hard to imagine how this subterfuge under Achish is better than running from God, but we see that sin's gain is always counterfeit in the end. Who would believe it? David, who killed Goliath, is seeking refuge in Goliath's hometown. David, who was Israel's champion, is become an underling to a pagan king. And David, who has fought for Israel, will soon be drafted to fight against Israel. So why did David go to the land of the Philistines? Because he feared Saul and he forgot God. And so the application to this first point is the New Testament imperative to pray without ceasing. Ladies, do you stop and seek the Lord's direction or do you just barge ahead? Praying without ceasing is a posture of constantly having your spiritual antennas up toward the Lord. Not only entreating him for direction, but receiving direction in tune to the Lord. You know, like a new mom whose antenna is always up to her newborn. She's listening for, her, for his or her cries, for their, even their tossings. And this is the way our antenna should be up listening to the voice of the Lord. And application number two here is trust what you know, not how you feel. Because feelings can be what? 
great liars. David had witnessed God saving his life multiple times. David knew that God had not deserted him once. David knew that he had been chosen king. And yet it looks like he is believing the opposite of this now. So what do we do? How do we counter this discouragement? And in your homework, um, we looked at Psalm 42. And Martin Lloyd-Jones had a famous sermon about preaching to yourself. And in Psalm 42, and Psalm 42 was not written by David. It was written by a Levite, one of the sons of Korah. But um, the, the psalmist doesn't deny his feelings. It, it opens, um, actually, yeah, it opens. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? He's not, he's not denying his feelings, but he challenges his feelings. And he takes his feelings to the Lord, and he begins to preach truth to himself. He remembers the former mercies of God in his life. He does all the things David didn't do but were at his disposal. The son of Korah does all the things that are at our disposal, but we don't do when we are bringing every thought captive and bringing ourselves to the plumb line of truth. The psalm goes on. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Hope in God. Preach to yourself hope. And then he remembers the mercies of God. My second point is, first point was, discouragement often leads to sin. And the second one is that sin snowballs. It's the very nature of sin. Sin doesn't stand still. It's like a cancer that continues to metastasize. So not only has David gone over to the enemy and is under the direction of an enemy king and he's lying and committing genocide himself and he's endangered all of his men and their families. In chapter 28, David gets a draft notice from King Achish and he is required to fight against Israel. And this is why discouragement is such a powerful tool in Satan's toolbox because discouragement can lead to sin and by nature sin snowballs. David has painted himself into a corner. <clears throat> if he does not go to battle and kill Israelites, then he will be seen as a traitor by the Philistines and killed for treason. And yet if he does go to war and kills the Israelites, he can never go home. He can never be king. He will be stuck in the land of the pagans for the rest of his life. David is in a no-win situation. He is between a rock and a hard place. 
he has painted himself into a corner. True story. In the 1950s, my cousin was an SAE at Vanderbilt. And the SAE mascot is the lion. And they had a real baby lion cub in the fraternity house. But it was the Christmas holidays and somebody had to take the lion home. And so my cousin volunteered. The lion's name was Nero. And so my cousin Jefferson um, packed up for the Christmas holidays. He was going to be gone a month. Put Nero in the back seat and drove from Nashville to Atlanta. And of course my aunt and uncle, their jaws dropped when he drove up. And um, you see, the SAEs had gotten this lion in September, and now it was December. So now we're talking about a teenage lion. (laughs) But they said, okay, it's just for a month. And um, so one day, uh, getting toward Christmas, my aunt went into the den and Nero was laid out on the couch, and my aunt said, get off the couch, and was trying to get Nero off the couch. Well, Nero, you see, had grown during the month of December, and Nero got aggressive with my aunt. Nero had grown dangerous. You see, sin is like that. We invite sin into our homes, maybe just as an amusement, and we think it's a trivial thing. But sin grows. Sin by nature snowballs. Sin doesn't stand still. And it winds up controlling and threatening to destroy us. Sin will take you farther than you ever ever thought you'd stray. Sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay, and sin will cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. So here's your application. Don't underestimate small sins. They don't stay small. A little leaven Leavens the whole lump. And lastly, my last point is that God rescues. These chapters should puzzle us. They should make us uncomfortable. This is David, the man after God's own heart. And yet here he is, a fallible, fearful, exhausted Fugitive whose faith has faded into failure. Yes, I like Adrian Rogers too. (laughs) David didn't airbrush here, is he? Every man, even the best of them, disappoints. We love to turn our Bible into morality lessons. Be like David. Well, be like David in 27 or... 29 or when when are we supposed to be like David maybe 23 
But we love these morality lessons. Be like David. Be like Samuel. Dare to be a Daniel. But the Bible won't let us do it. David disappoints us, and he's supposed to disappoint us. We did have high hopes for David. He was our Cinderella character. He was the least of Jesse's sons, and he was the royal choice. But David disappoints, and he's supposed to disappoint us. Our hearts are left longing for a hero. David staggered in his faith, but David never lost his faith. Not because David was strong, but because he was held by the strong arm of God. David may have forgotten God, but God never forgot David. God is not mentioned in chapter 27, 28, or 29, except on the lips of a pagan king, Achish, of a medium, and of a ghost. Is God absent in these chapters? Is he off duty? Is he asleep? And of course, the answer is no. He who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. And though we are faithless, he is faithful and we can take that to the bank. God is the current underneath all of the action here. And though we don't see his hand directly, it is there. God's gracious providence is moving in a never-ending current to accomplish his will. So here is the principle. God controls all circumstances, all men, in spite of themselves, and often unknowingly to them. So God is the hero of these chapters. It is he who rescues David from the mess of David's own making. And we have a heavenly father who does not abandon us. And, do, and a heavenly father who does not treat us as our sins deserves. Ladies, we find that flesh and blood hero that we long, that we have long longed for in Jesus Christ. Because at its very basic component part, Christianity is a rescue mission. We were the ones that were held captive in an enemy land. And God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission. Colossians 1, 1 is probably many of your favorite verses. For God delivered us. It's not delivered in the tame sense like deliver the mail it's deliver in like God deliver me it's rescue God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
translated, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And the beauty of the gospel is that God did not send his son in to rescue his friends, but to rescue his enemies. For we were children of wrath, enemies of God, and God the Father sent his son on a rescue mission to rescue us. Just imagine, just imagine the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Imagine that he condescends and becomes a foot soldier and sneaks into Palestine today to rescue not the Israelis, not even his allies, the Americans, but to rescue Hamas. That's the gospel. God sent his son to rescue we who were his enemies. So the main point of this talk is the main point of all of Scripture. And it is that God and his son, Jesus Christ, is the hero of this story and the hero of all of Scripture. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.